0: You're listening to a Calvary Young Adults Podcast, a ministry out of Calvary Baptist Church, Oshawa, Ontario, Canada. Calvary Young Adults is a midweek worship gathering of those in the Durham region who are between the ages of 18 and 30. We love the Lord, proclaim His Word, and celebrate His goodness. This podcast series is a release of the sermons from Thursday evenings. In today's episode, Daniel continues the Character Matters series looking at the topic of faithfulness. Can faithfulness arise from faithlessness? Let's learn now from the life of Ruth. As we continue in the Character Matters series this evening, uh, I'm so looking forward to continue this month that we've been talking about the, the great women of God's Word. The great, uh, the great women this month... Uh, who we've been going through, what God's word has to say about these women who lived for God, who stewarded their lives for him, who lived obediently to him, and how we can learn from their lives and the, the seasons that God brought them into. And I'm excited tonight to talk about the person of Ruth and the book of Ruth in God's word. Uh, it's been one of, my, uh, one of my favorite books of the Old Testament. I love the book of Ruth, it's a short book, uh, but it is a great, pa- great book and it is packed with so much. There are so many themes that we could pull out in in the next half an hour from the book of Ruth. We've got themes of disobedience and obedience. We've got themes of great family and bad family. We've got famine. We've got feast. We've got death. We've got life. We've got loss. We've got gain. I've heard Mark Driscoll refer to it as the the little big Cinderella story of the Bible. There's a love story in here. And the theme that we're going to camp on tonight, the theme of faithfulness. Because we see great faithfulness in the book of Ruth, and we see great faithfulness in the life of Ruth. And I think it's an important one for us to talk about tonight, because we are currently in a generation that is being described as a faithless generation. Either there's no faith in our generation, so so people in our age group are are leaving the church in droves, or we're just not committed, we're not faithful to anything. And, And this generation is being described as a faithless generation, a generation of faithlessness. So the question is, can faithfulness... Come out of faithlessness. Well, I believe the book of Ruth tonight is going to be of great encouragement to us as we learn that God is in the business of bringing faithfulness out of faithlessness. I don't want to spoil the uh, end of Ruth. I don't want to spoil uh, the, the grand story of Scripture. I don't want to spoil my own sermon tonight. But we need to know right off the bat that God is in the business of of bringing faithfulness out of faithlessness. So there is hope for faithlessness, that God can bring great faithfulness out of it. And I pray that each of us, uh, myself included, the people watching and listening, I pray we would be people of great faithfulness. But if you are a person who strives for faithfulness, then you know that faithfulness can be hard sometimes. You know, when we talk about faithfulness, we're talking about loyalty to something, commitment to something. And loyalty and commitment to something that's unwavering can be a challenge at times. Maybe it is just the normal day to day uh, calendar that you maintain, and you have a hard time when something that's more desirable comes up, but you've already made a commitment to something else. You have a hard time being faithful to that commitment that you already made. Or maybe you're a sports fan, and you love your sports team, but they've been losing a lot lately, and you're kind of a junkie for the win. And you want to hop ships over uh, to the team that is winning. I think there's a, that's a—I don't know. I think that's like a sports world sin uh, to be a bandwagoner. But maybe, you, maybe that's a problem for you. You, you. you love winning more than you love your own team that you cheer for, so you hop over to whatever team's winning every year. Now, those are a couple small examples, but there are greater areas. There are bigger areas that we can struggle with faithfulness as well. Perhaps it's at work or school. Perhaps it's in the professional environment that God has brought you into right now. Maybe it's the worst. You hate it. You don't want to go to work. So you call in sick all the time when you're not sick. And when you do go to work, you're not really working. You're checked out. You're on your phone. You're not faithful to your job. You're not faithful to your coworkers. You're not faithful to your employer. Or maybe it's the family role that God has put you in right now. If you're a son or daughter and you're under your parents' roof, you're under your parents' authority, you have a hard time being faithful to your parents. You have a hard time being faithful to the role that God has given you as a son or daughter. If you're a husband or wife... Maybe you have a hard time. Maybe you struggle with faithfulness in your marriage. And when I say faithfulness in marriage, I don't just mean uh, like infidelity is unfaithfulness, but being faithful to the role that God has given you as husband or wife, as husband, to lead your family, as wife, to submit to your husband. If maybe you struggle being faithful to those roles in your marriage. And maybe you're a parent. Maybe you have children And you struggle being faithful to the role of parenting that God has called parents to, to to disciple their children in his word and to, to train them in the way that they should go. And ultimately, maybe you struggle with faithfulness to Christ. Maybe you grew up in the church, you know the truths of the word, but they haven't penetrated your heart. And you would rather be faithful to the sin that's familiar and comfortable in your life than To Christ, who calls us out of that darkness, who calls us out of sin, who calls us out of uh, of darkness and into glorious light. Or maybe you've never committed to Him. Maybe you've never seen faithfulness in your family. You've never seen faithfulness at home. You've never seen faithfulness in your friend group. You've never seen faithfulness at work. You've never seen faithfulness at school. You've never seen faithfulness. And to hear that there is a God who is faithful to His people and who gives His people the ability to be faithful to Him, it just sounds crazy to you. You can't believe it because you've never seen it. There's lots of ways we could struggle with faithfulness. And if we're honest, we all do. In different areas, at different times, in different seasons, in different roles. But there is great hope in God's word. There's great hope in those truths we were just saying a few moments ago. That God's faithfulness is great. And in the book of Ruth, we're going to see the impact of God's faithfulness on one of his people's lives. So let's pray together and then dig into this great book of Ruth. It's a, it's a fantastic, fantastic book. I can't wait to jump in. God, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for those who you have uh, brought together online virtually. And I pray now that as we dig into the book of Ruth and uh, learn about faithfulness, I pray that we would be greatly encouraged in our striving to be a faithful people to you, God. And I praise you. I thank you that you are a faithful God to your people. That is such a good truth, God. We can find great rest in that. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Book of Ruth. Like I said, lots of themes. Starts with a famine, ends with a feast. Starts with death, ends with new life. It's a story that contains a terrible father and husband. It contains death. It contains loss. It contains grieving. It contains abusive backgrounds. It contains sinfulness. But it also brings devotion and provision and love and faithfulness. Ruth has got it all. There is so much that could be unpacked in Ruth that, like I said, we cannot unpack tonight. So please, it's a short book. Read it. Read it tonight. Read it this weekend. Read it sometime. It's a great little book. And if you want to dive deeper into your study of Ruth, I'd highly recommend two resources, both from Pastor Mark Driscoll. They're both great. First one is he did a sermon series at his church on the book of Ruth. Very good, lots of good stuff in there. Uh, not just for the ladies, for the guys as well. Um, lots of important truth, lots of important application in there. So I'd highly recommend that. Mark Driscoll, sermon series on Ruth. And the second thing is by Mark and his wife, Grace, the Exo Real Marriage Podcast. It's a great podcast overall. Michelle, my wife, and I uh, have been super blessed by it, uh, listening to uh, them talk. It's a, it's a short little podcast. It's probably the, the third greatest podcast on the App Store next to Living in the 66 and Calvary Young Adults podcast, uh, but it's great. And in the second season of the uh, Real Marriage podcast, they looked at Ruth. So if you're in a marriage covenant and you, or you want to be in a marriage covenant, uh, great podcast series on the book of Ruth, specifically about family roles and marriage and that kind of stuff, really good. So if you want way more on Ruth than we can do in the next few minutes, um, highly recommend those. But Ruth, who was Ruth? Well, we find out very quickly in Ruth that she was a Moabite. She was from the nation of Moab. We need to stop there because it tells us a lot about Ruth's background that is going to be greatly impactful in understanding her faithfulness. So who were the Moabites, you ask? Who was the nation of Moab? Well, perhaps you remember a guy named Lot, Abraham's nephew. Remember him from Genesis? I'm sure you do. Lot uh, had a family, but Lot got pregnant with his daughter. Well, he got his daughter pregnant. And they had a son who the Moabites came from. So not the greatest start to a nation. And unfortunately, that start to the nation of a father impregnating his daughter, it got worse from there. And as we know from other parts of God's word and historical documents that, that the nation of Moab was a really dark nation. It was really an evil nation. It was a nation that worshipped false gods, that worshipped idols, that was very sinful, that was completely opposed to the true God, Yahweh. Sexual immorality, abuse, incest, just a lot of really dark, evil background. And that's, that's the family, that's the nation, that's the people that Ruth is from. So how does Ruth end up in God's word, in the lineage of Christ, as a hero of the faith, well, she married the son, one of the sons, of a couple named Elimelech and Naomi. Now, Elimelech and Naomi had two sons, uh, Malon and Chilion. Uh, by the way, his names mean sickness and death. So, if you're looking for boys' names, maybe put those on the list uh, or not, because they kind of have crazy, terrible meanings. And unfortunately, they foreshadow a lot of what's about to happen in Ruth. But she marries, she marries one of their sons. And uh, they, 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 they brought their family out of Bethlehem because there's a famine. And again, that's kind of ironic because Bethlehem in the Hebrew literally means house of bread. So they left the house of bread. They left the place that God had provided for his people to be provided for, to try and get provided for elsewhere. Uh, and that's the great failure of Elimelech, the father uh, who brought his family out of God's provision. But he brings his family out. They go to Moab. Both their sons marry Moabite women. One of them is Orpah, one of them is Ruth. And again, God had told them not to marry the women from Moab because it was a sinful nation, but they did it anyway. So another failure of Elimelech. And they get married and they have this family, but then Elimelech dies. So Naomi's left on her own with her two sons and daughters-in-law. But then Malon and Chilion, who remember his names, meant sick and dying, got sick and died. So now Naomi is left with Orpah and Ruth, her two daughter-in-laws. Naomi's gotten pretty bitter at this point. So now they've got a a bitter mother-in-law who tells them, I've got nothing left for you. Go back to Moab. Get out of here. Just basically leave me alone to die. Well, Orpah says, okay, I'm peacing out. Bye. Leaves, But Ruth says, as Matt alluded to when we were hosting, Ruth says, I'm not leaving at all. I'm not going anywhere. You are not going to be able to get rid of me. And from that moment on, we see great faithfulness exemplified in Ruth's life, not just in Naomi. We see great faithfulness of this woman Ruth who had this terrible past be brought into the family of God. So for you and I who are struggling with faithfulness, who are, who are trying our best, living our lives day to day, trying to be faithful in the seasons that God has brought us into, I see four great encouragements from Ruth that we're going to look at in the next few minutes. Four great encouragements from Ruth. Facts about faithfulness, truths about faithfulness that we can implement in our lives and hopefully grow in our faithfulness. By the way, my Hebrew and Old Testament prof always used to say, I'm throwing this one in for free if it was like a little tidbit that he wanted to throw in. So this one's for free. But the book of Ruth in the Hebrew Bible follows the book of Proverbs. So for us, it follows Judges, but in the Hebrew order, it follows Proverbs. And if you know Proverbs, you know Proverbs 31 is the last chapter in Proverbs. And if you know Proverbs 31, Proverbs 31 talks about the the excellent wife, the excellent woman, the virtuous woman, the eshet chayil in Hebrew. and then Proverbs 31 is followed by the book of Ruth. So it's believed that Ruth is kind of put there as, a, as an exemplary of the woman that's described in Proverbs 31. Again, that one's for free. Take it or leave it. I think it's pretty cool though. So uh, pretty neat. As we get into the book of Ruth and we see these four, four things about faithfulness in the life of Ruth. And the first is this. Faithfulness is first and foremost before God. Faithfulness is first and foremost before God. If you have your Bibles, and you really have no excuse not to because you're at home, so go grab them, turn the volume up while you search the house for it, hopefully you don't have to search too hard, Uh, or open up a new tab and go to Bible Gateway, or follow along somehow in the book of Ruth, because we're going to be hitting a few verses throughout the evening from Ruth. And if you have it, turn to Ruth, turn to Ruth 1, and let's read 16 and 17. It says, but Ruth replied, so Naomi had said to Ruth, go home, go back to Moab, I've got nothing for you. It says but Ruth replied, "Don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me." This is what Matt was getting at earlier with Uh, Ruth clinging to Naomi here and uh, not letting go. She says, where you go, I go. Where you die, I die. You live, I live. Your people, my people. She makes this covenant of faithfulness, of commitment to Naomi. But really, as we see in the text, it's a covenant of faithfulness before God. Because faithfulness is first and foremost before God. This moment is like Ruth's conversion. We see, it, we see it in 16. Your God will be my God. We see it in verse 17. She knows this is before the Lord, and she says, May the Lord punish me severely should I break this oath. Should I break what I am saying to you. Because faithfulness is first and foremost before God. But we see in this little monologue, this quick little speech she gives, this quick little expression of faithfulness in 16 and 17, That she recognized that in order for there to be faithfulness, there must be a necessary ending before there can be a new beginning. There had to be a necessary ending before there could be a new beginning. And where do we see that? Look at verse 16. Naomi has said, go, go back to Moab, go back to your people. And she says, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. Why would she have said that if she could have gone back to Moab and still worshiped Yahweh? Why would she have said that if she could have still gone back to Moab and lived for Yahweh, lived for the one true God? It's because she knew for faithfulness, that is first and foremost before God, there had to be a necessary ending. It would have been easy for Ruth to go back to Moab. It's what she knew. She grew up in Moab. She was familiar with Moab. And even though it contained sinfulness and darkness and abuse and hurt, it was familiar and it was comfortable. It would have been easier for her to go back to Moab after she had spent just just really a short amount of time with her husband who had died and her, hus- her uh, brother-in-law who had died and her father-in-law who had died. It would have been easy for her to return to Moab and resume life as normal. But she knew in order to have faithfulness to Yahweh, faithfulness to the one true God, there had to first be a necessary ending. It's the same for us today. We struggle sometimes. We know things have to end before new things can begin. But we don't want to let go of the things that have to end, even when they're hurting us. Sin looks way more appealing at times than sanctification. Why? Even though we know what hurts us? Because it's familiar, because it's comfortable but it has to end before we can experience new beginning before we can experience new life in Christ there must be a necessary ending for a new beginning let me put it this way for those of you who are married or those of you who want to be married or those of you who have attended a wedding before you know that on the wedding day two single people become married on that day they make that marriage covenant before the lord And singleness is ended and marriage has begun. It is a necessary ending to singleness before there can be a new beginning in marriage. And in fact, a lot of the problems in marriages is because the spouses believe that they were trying to retain their singleness while they're still married. And that cannot be the case. You cannot be single and married. It's one or the other. It was the same for Ruth. Ruth knew all that Moab, the Moabites represented for her She knew if she went back, it would be false idol worship again. It would be sinfulness. It would be abuse. It would be hurt. And even though those things were hurting her, they were comfortable because they were familiar. And it's the same with us. The things that hurt us are familiar and comfortable and oftentimes keep us from experiencing that new beginning. But we can't have both. We can't be worshiping other things, and Yahweh. We can't have one foot on each side. We have to be fully faithful, fully in, because faithfulness is first and foremost before God. This is what the prophet Ezekiel was writing about in Ezekiel 36, I think, of uh, the, the old heart that gets removed and the new heart that gets put in. When we start to follow Christ, when we enter into faithfulness to him, we don't just get an extra heart. We don't get a heart of flesh, a life a life-giving heart put in beside our dead heart, beside our stone heart, the stone heart is removed and the living heart of life is put in us. There must be a necessary ending for there to be a new beginning. When there is a new beginning, it is incredible to experience. Ruth did it here in 16 and 17. She expressed her faithful commitment to Naomi, but ultimately she was expressing her faithful commitment to God. God first and then others. We see as she meets Boaz who would become her husband, she is faithful to him. We see as she has children, she is a faithful mother, she is a faithful person. So if you're struggling with faithfulness tonight, I would ask this, how is your faithfulness to Christ? Because that's not to say if you're faithful to Christ, you don't have to work in any of the other areas. You absolutely do. But if we're having trouble in the other areas, it's likely because we're having trouble in our faithfulness to Christ. So how's your faithfulness to Christ? How are you doing walking with the Lord? What needs to end in your life to experience new beginning? What sin is keeping you from experiencing that new beginning? What is your Moab? What do you need to put a necessary ending to in your life so that you can experience new life in Christ? How are you doing with faithfulness to Christ? Invest all your effort into your faithfulness to Christ. And then as you invest more effort in other areas, faithfulness will start to come easier. Faithfulness will start to come more naturally because we are throwing all our effort into faithfulness with Christ. And as we put effort into other areas, it will continue to grow as well. That's the first thing I see in Ruth's life. Faithfulness is first and foremost before God. But you might be thinking, I am wrecked for faithfulness. Because of the sins that I have committed in the past, or because of the hurt that I have experienced as a result of other people's sin in the past, I am wrecked for faithfulness. I cannot imagine how I could be faithful. I want to encourage you tonight that God's word says that does not have to be the case. I said it earlier, and I'm going to say it again. God is in the business of bringing faithfulness out of faithlessness. And that's the second thing I see here in Ruth's life, is that future faithfulness is not limited by past decisions. It's not limited by past hurt. We know Ruth's past. We've talked about it a little bit tonight. She was a Moabite. We know that from chapter 1, verse 4. She was from the tribe of Moab. She was from the nation of Moab. Did did being from Moab exclude her from the family of Yahweh? No. Even though she had both. She was from Moab. Every person, including Adam and Eve, has sinned. So she had sin in her life. And she was from Moab, so she had hurt in her life. She had abuse in her life. But did that prevent her from faithfulness? No, and in fact, if you flip to chapter 2 and look at verse 11 and 12 with me, we see when Boaz does meet her, the thing he comments on is her faithfulness that's evident in her life. Read with me, Ruth 2, 11 and 12. Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and your mother and your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know May the Lord reward you for what you have done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Ruth was faithful, and it was not limited by her past decisions or her past hurt. She had every excuse. Orpah did too, and Orpah left. Ruth had every excuse to not be faithful. Past sin and past hurt you know we often can be tempted to use past hurt past sin in our life to say that we are precluded from faithfulness we are wrecked for faithfulness we can never be faithful because of what we've done or what's been done to us and to be quite honest likely it's a combination of both for us too but the good news here brothers and sisters is that when we look at Ruth, we don't have to say that she's the exception. We don't have to say, oh, that's fine for Ruth. She's in the Bible. (laughs) Of course she was good. She's the exception. No, Ruth is not the exception. Ruth is the example of what happens on every page of this book. Ruth is the example of the work that God does, bringing faithfulness out of faithlessness. And how is he able to do that? Because he is a perfectly faithful God. We just saying about that a few moments ago. Great is thy faithfulness. He is a faithful God. And he is so faithful, he did not leave his creation, who rebelled against him and who hated him, on their own to suffer and die forever. He is so faithful, through Christ, he became human. While remaining fully God, he became fully man to be near to us. He drew near to us in his faithfulness. And in Christ's great faithfulness, he was faithful to death on the cross because of his faithfulness to his creation. And through his death and burial and resurrection and ascension now, where he sits at the right hand of the Father, faithfully interceding for us when, when we pray, when we talk to him, we can experience that faithfulness and then we're given the gift of faith to grow and steward into faithfulness. That's what being saved is all about. A lot of people will say, you just have to believe in Christ to be saved. But it says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is your Savior and Lord. That Lordship, that's all about faithfulness. That's about being faithful to Christ, faithful to his word. You can experience that today. If you have experienced that before, you can know that you're able to be faithful not because of your own effort. I'm not standing up here telling you to be more faithful, to try harder. That would just be a Bible TED talk. I'm telling you that God, in His great faithfulness, gives people the gift of faith to be faithful to Him. It's amazing, it's an amazing truth. So if you're feeling discouraged in your faithfulness tonight because you think your past hurt, your past sin precludes you from being faithful, that's what God's in the business of doing, bringing faithfulness out of faithlessness. And if that's prevented you from ever putting your trust in Christ before, please hear these words of God's truth and respond to him today. God's word says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved as God works in people's hearts and draws people to him and gives people the gift of faith and grows that faith and faithfulness to him. You can do that right now. And then tell someone, tell us. We love to walk with people as, as we all work on being faithful to God, as we all work on being faithful to him as our Lord. But just know that in Ruth's life, it didn't preclude her from a life of faithfulness and it does not preclude you or I from a life of faithfulness today. Because we've all had past sin. We've all had past hurt. But we can still be faithful. Because it's first and foremost about God. And it does not keep us from being faithful. There's a third thing I see here. Faithful people steward the season that God has brought them to well. Faithful people steward the season that God has brought them to well. I wish we had more time tonight. Honestly, I wish we could just read through the whole book of Ruth because it's, it's a fantastic little book and I'd love to pull out tons of stuff in here. But let's even go back just to verse 16 and 17 that we were looking at earlier. Her, her conversion moment, her putting her faith in God moment. We know Ruth's season was not an admirable one. We know her past was not admirable. And then she was in a situation where she had lost her father-in-law, her husband, her brother-in-law, her sister-in-law had abandoned her, and she was left with a bitter mother-in-law. This was not a great moment in Ruth's life, as far as the eye can see. But she was faithful. She saw the moment that God had brought her into, and she saw it as an opportunity to steward faithfulness well. She didn't shake her fists at God and say, why are you doing this to me? I'm giving up. I don't care anymore. She didn't say that. She committed to steward the season well in faithfulness. And we see evidence of that in chapter 2, verse 2. Look there with me. We see Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I can find favor? They had returned to Bethlehem and obviously the famine had, had 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 gotten a little better and it wasn't as bad anymore and she doesn't go and say, oh, I'm stuck with this bitter mother-in-law and I, I guess I'm just going to hole up in her basement and do nothing. She sees the moment that God has brought her into. She sees the season that God has brought her into and uses it as an opportunity to steward faithfulness in her life. So she goes out and she starts to collect food. She starts to try and provide for herself and her mother-in-law. And as her story continues, she meets Boaz, and in that new season where she marries him, she stewards faithfulness well. And in that season where God blesses them with a child, she stewards that season faithfully. How do you respond to new seasons that God brings you into? How do you respond to seasons God has brought you into a long time ago and you're still in? Do you see them as opportunities to steward faithfulness in him? Maybe it's at work. Do you see a good or bad work situation? It doesn't have to be bad. But do you see a work situation as an opportunity to steward faithfulness to God? To bring his name to your coworkers? To work hard under his glory? To to do everything you can to bring his good news to the people who are around you? To work on, even though it's hard, just being faithful to it for the sake of growing faithfulness? Or do you give up and throw your hands up and say, this is terrible, I hate this? Maybe it's your family role. As a husband or wife, do you see see your marriage as an opportunity to grow in holiness together, to to commit to being, uh, to steward it well in faithfulness? As a parent, do you see that as an opportunity to steward well faithfulness? As a son or daughter, as a school, as a schoolmate, as a student, as a worker, wherever it is, do you see these seasons that God brings you to as an opportunity for faithfulness stewardship? I'll give you a real personal example how, how uh, I'm working on this right now is uh, I'm, in a, I'm in a good season. The Lord has, has blessed my wife and I with uh, the birth of our son just a couple weeks ago, and we're two weeks in to this new season of parenting. And it's amazing uh, and crazy, and I've heard it gets more amazing and more crazy. Um, and it's great, but Michelle and I are actively looking to see how we can steward faithfulness to God's Word in this new season. We're only two weeks in, and we have a lot to learn. But one real practical example that we've started to try to implement in our daily routine, which with a new morning. there really isn't a daily routine, but, but we're working on it, and we're working on being faithful and stewardship here, is opening up one of, the, one of the kids' Bibles that we've got and, and reading and praying together as a family. And, you know, people would say to me, Daniel, you're crazy. He's two weeks old. There's no way he's getting, he's getting that, even if it is a kid's story Bible. And you're right. He's learning, like, how to live out here right now. But I know my responsibility as a father is to lead my family to Christ. And I know one day I'm going to stand before Christ and be held accountable for how faithful I was to that role. And I do not want Christ to look at me and say, because you thought he wouldn't get it yet, you started too late. I don't want to stand before Christ and find out that if I decided five was the magic age, which which I don't think so, but if I believe five was the magic age, and I waited till five, but he really would have gotten it way earlier, I don't want to think for a second that I missed a day to talk to my son about the goodness of God. I don't want to think that I missed a day. And I don't know when that day will be when he'll start to remember and he'll start to comprehend and he'll start to understand the good truths of God's word. I don't know when that day is. I'm not God. I don't know when his brain will be able to to, to take that in fully. So rather than wait and hope I hit the right age, I want to steward the season well that God has brought me into And faithfully start now. Because I don't know when that day will be. that's just a small example. There's a lot to parenting. There's a lot to marriage. There's a lot to singleness. There's a lot to working. There's a lot to students. There's lots of ways that we can invest our energy into stewarding faithfulness. But in the good and hard seasons, do you see those as opportunities to steward faithfulness? Because faithful people steward the seasons that God brings them into well. Last thing. God works in and blesses the faithfulness of ordinary people. You might think, I'm just too ordinary. I don't have a big enough platform. I don't have enough ears listening to me. I don't have enough influence. Even if I was mega faithful, my impact would be mega tiny. Even if I was super faithful, I'm just too ordinary. My work's too ordinary. My routine's too ordinary. I'm too ordinary, to be used by God. My faithfulness is meaningless because of my ordinariness. But we find out that faithfulness really is just a pointer to God's faithfulness towards us. Ruth was ordinary. We're a lot like Ruth. We have hard pasts. We struggle with sin. We have ordinary lives, and we do our best to be faithful in his spirit, in his strength. But Ruth was ordinary, and we see this language of sovereignty All throughout the book. Because our faithfulness isn't just about our faithfulness. Like I said, it's a pointer to God's faithfulness. And we find out that God is intricately working in our faithfulness. The faithfulness of ordinary lives, ordinary people doing ordinary things. Look at Ruth 2.3. This is right after she goes out and begins to collect wheat. It says, Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. If you believe the author of Ruth believed in luck or chance, that's totally wrong. This is a figure of speech that the author of Ruth uses to emphasize the fact that it was God intricately working in her life. From Ruth's perspective, she was being faithful. She had to provide for her mother-in-law, so she was going out to find some food. And she was going to go to a field and hope that the person would be generous with her. But from God's perspective, he was providentially working in her life to bring her to the field of who? Boaz, who was her father-in-law's relative, and who would eventually become her husband. See, God is working in the ordinary faithfulness of ordinary people. So if you feel discouraged that you're too ordinary or your life is too normal, God works in the faithfulness of ordinary people. We see this language of sovereignty all through the book. And then he blesses it. We see in chapter 4 that as she marries Boaz, uh, they give birth to children. Now, does that mean that God is going to bless faithful people with children all the time? No. Does that mean God's going to bless faithful people with marriages all the time? No. Does that mean God's going to bless faithful people with money or house or great job or great coworkers or whatever you want all the time? No. So how does, how does God bless? How does God promise to bless the faithfulness of ordinary people? Well, it's the ways that he's promised. So an abundant life now, not of worldly abundance, but of experiential abundance in him, knowing that he is with us and near us and, and for us. And then in eternity of feasting with him as we experience his faithfulness in a whole new way when we spend eternity with him. He'll bless while we're on earth in ways that are visual. He'll give tangible blessing. But the blessing he has promised is the spiritual blessing of his closeness now and his closeness forever. So if you feel like you're your life is too ordinary, your faithfulness is too ordinary to be used by God, please don't be discouraged. Or please, yeah, please don't be discouraged by that. Be encouraged that God is working in and blessing the faithfulness of ordinary people. You know, the book of Ruth ends with two ordinary faithful people having a baby in Bethlehem. You know, that reminds me of a couple other ordinary people years after Ruth who had a baby in Bethlehem. God used the ordinary faithfulness of Joseph and Mary and another baby boy was born in Bethlehem, Jesus. And God used their faithfulness for, for blessing generations and generations and generations to come to this day and into the future until he returns. Don't think that God can't can't use faithfulness of ordinary people because that is exactly what God does all the time. Your responsibility, be faithful. Steward the season you're in and trust that God is working in it. It's not up to us to manipulate the situation, to to orchestrate the situation, to engineer stuff. It's up to us to be faithful. Be faithful. He gives us the faith to do so and then he is working in that faithfulness. You know, the book of Ruth begins with famine and ends with the birth of a baby, ends with new life. It's a lot like our lives. Our lives all start with famine, spiritual famine. Our lives all start with brokenness and sinfulness and as enemies towards God. But our lives don't have to end in famine. Our lives don't have to end in brokenness. Our lives don't have to end as enemies towards God because of that baby that was born in Bethlehem as a result of Mary and Joseph who were ordinary faithful people. That, that new life brings us new life today. So that just like Ruth's story that began with famine and ended with new life, our story can begin with famine. It does begin with famine. The question is, will it end with new life? You can today. I've already said it before, but respond to Christ today. And you can experience his great faithfulness from the very beginning of this book. You can experience his faithfulness today. So how are you doing with faithfulness? Is your faithfulness first and foremost before God? Do you recognize that it doesn't have to be limited by past decisions, past hurt? Are you stewarding the season God has brought you into for faithfulness? And do you believe that God is working in and blessing the faithfulness of your ordinary life, my ordinary life, our ordinary lives? God is working. Your story begins with a famine. I know that. But it doesn't need to end there. It can end with new life. It can end very differently because of this birth of a baby that came years after Ruth in Bethlehem. So where are you at with your faithfulness? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for your servant Ruth, who we can learn from. I thank you that how just like Ruth's story that began with famine but ended with new life, our stories that begin with famine don't have to end with famine but can end with new life. God, I pray that I pray that as those who follow you, that we would be faithful. I thank you that you empower us to do so. And God, I pray that we would steward that faith well that you gift your people and that we would put all our effort into faithfulness to you. And that as we do that, that that faithfulness would overflow into the areas of our lives that you have brought us into as husbands and wives and parents or sons and daughters or students or workers or employers or wherever we're at. God, I pray we would steward that faithfulness well and that we would be greatly encouraged by Ruth's story that you providentially and sovereignly work in the faithfulness of ordinary people like me, ordinary people like the people on the other side of the camera, on the other side of the screens listening to this right now. You are a good God and we love you so much. Great is thy faithfulness and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, check out our new podcast series, Living in the 66, a conversational series as we walk through God's word chapter by chapter and seek to discover how we can apply it to our lives. Thanks for listening to today's episode, and until next time, blessings.